Hello everybody, I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb and this is the Transporter Room and we're going to get to the podcast in a few minutes, but first, I need to talk to you for a spell. As I was building this podcast, our first of the Pride Month of 2021, we hoped to build a celebration and we will celebrate. But we have to talk about what happened on the first day of Pride. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill that would ban transgender participation in interscholastic and intercollegiate athletics into law in his state. Gotta tell you, anti-LGBTQ bigots understand symbolism quite well. And now here is Governor DeSantis giving transgender Americans the finger on the first day of Pride. Now we know what the real deal is. This is a cynical attempt by a person seeking the White House in 2024 to court the Trump vote. LGBTQ America once again slapped across the face with the glove of bigotry. And this isn't the only call to a duel that right-wing politicians and groups like the Alliance Defending Freedom who specialize in the care and feeding of such politicians wish to engage in. There's an article that's out right now in the Daily Beast by Scott Bixby, an excellent journalist, and I suggest you read it. It goes inside the multi-billion dollar dark money assault on the Equality Act, a dire, cynical, bigoted attack on human rights by those who claim to proclaim the mantle of the Prince of Peace. Friends, this Pride Month is an opportunity to come together, and after the difficulties of the last year, we surely need it. And I'm not saying don't party. I think we should frolic and celebrate. But let's also not forget that the first Pride was a riot. And Pride has always been a fight back. It's a call to arms as much as it's a call to celebrate. If we want the Equality Act, we shall have to fight for it. If we want to make sports open for all who seek to play, we shall have to fight for it. If we want a nation and a world built on the framework of human rights, we shall have to fight for it. The two strong women right behind me wouldn't have it any other way. Bayard Rustin said, when an individual is protesting society's refusal to acknowledge his dignity as a human being, the very act of protest confers dignity on him. Let us confer our dignity and fight those who are so eager to take it away. Tell me a story and I'll tell you mine. Take your time, I'm all ears, we've got all night. Show me the rivers crossed, the mountain scale. Show me who made you walk all the way here. Ooh, settle down, put your bags down. Don't need to be related.
needed to relate. We don't need to share genes or a surname. You are, you are my chosen, chosen family. So what if we don't look the same? We've been going through the same thing, yeah. You are, you are my chosen, chosen family. Hello to my sporting chosen family. I'm Carly Webb. This is the Transporter Room. And can you believe it? Just like all of us, we're getting outside. We're outside. I'm here at the Pride Month dedication here in West Hartford, Connecticut. And I decided, well, since I'm vaccinated, let's go outside. Let's be with the people again, especially in this Pride Month. Yes, it is June. It is Pride. And it's a time to look ahead to a lot of fun, but also to important issues of the fight back that Pride has been from the beginning. There's still the issues of the anti-trans legislation in 33 states in this country. There's still the issue of the Equality Act, which will be under fierce debate in the House and in the Senate in the weeks and months to come. But also in sport, we still have the issues of erasure of LGBTQ people in sport, the lack of access, the feeling that you still need to hide who you are to compete as you are. Those are things that need to be smashed and thrown aside. So on this Pride Month, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate sport. I celebrate my teammates in the Southern New England Friendship League. Great people who I've gotten to know, they are my chosen family. And yes, I celebrate those who did have to hide to have their career. Let's celebrate and never forget Glenn Burke. Let's celebrate and never forget David Cope. Let's celebrate and never forget Jerry Smith. Let's also celebrate the courage of Hurley Haywood, being a racing fan, that's close to my heart, and his courage in coming out after years in a dark closet. But also, let's celebrate those who are out loud and proud. Celebrate the Gus Kenworthys, yes. Celebrate the Quins. Celebrate the Megan Rapinos. Celebrate the Cece Telfers. Celebrate, celebrate the Ness Murbys. And today, in Bidowicz, Poland, we can celebrate Valentina Petrillo, the Italian sprinter who took Pietro Menea, the great world record holder and Olympic champion, as her idol, will stand on a starting line this week wearing Italian Azuri blue, the first Italian transgender person to compete for the flag of her country. And she will do it again, hopefully in a month's time, at the Paralympics in Tokyo. So yes, let's celebrate. Happy Pride, everyone. And that leads us to today's guest, special guest today. People who have been staunch, strong allies in the world of ultra distance running and trail running. And with more on that, I'm gonna beam ourselves back up to the studio. Transporter room, one to beam up. Our guests this week come from a very special part of the world of sports. The part of the world of sports where most people would look and at first glance would say, you're going to run how far? They are coaches for a very special team, the Swap Adventure Team, SwapRunning.com if you're scoring at home. 
David Roche, 2014 USA Track and Field Trail Runner of the Year Sub Ultra Distance, which means that's less than what 100 miles, I guess. Um, also graduated the graduated from Columbia University with a degree in environmental science, received a master's degree and a law degree from Duke University. Talk about power couple. You think that's impressive? Let's check out his wife, Megan Roche, MD. 2016 USATF Trail Runner of the Year at the Ultra and Sub-Ultra Distances. Five-time national champion, North American Mountain Running Champion, a six-time member of Team USA, graduate of Duke, got the MD from Stanford, currently working on a PhD in epidemiology, focusing on population health and genetics for athletes. Megan, David, welcome to the Transporter Room. Thank you so much for having it's us. It's such an honor to be here. And what a podcast introduction. This is absolutely incredible. Seriously, this is like our kind of vibes. So I'm just glad we in. didn't have any bad molecules. I was kind of worried when we were being scanned. For the molecule check, I was like, oh no, it's been a long week. I, know <laughs> yeah. what's come up. I definitely got some molecules. Well, we just want to make we just want to make sure that like the evil twin versions of you don't go through or doubles go through. I mean, remember yeah. this this is still new technology. I'm still reading through the owner's manual for it. But it's great to have you both here. Now, first off, I mean, running is life for the both of you in many ways. How did you how did you manage during this last year of this pandemic? Honestly, it was kind of like, OK, I think for us in a lot of ways. I mean, we have through coaching, we get to basically interact with a lot of our best friends every single day because that's just the way I think a lot of our coaching relationships go over time. So even while we were, you know, ostensibly supporting others, I felt like we were getting support every day, even as we were going through all the changes that everyone else was. Um, so at least for me, like, you know, it, it sucked to see what everyone else was going through a lot of the time. Um, but having, having those friends that, that were on our team meant everything. Yeah, I think for me, it was just a lot of uncertainty, like everyone else in the world. But fortunately, I love training, quite frankly. Like I love just going out and having like long training days in the mountains and being located here in Boulder, we were able to still do that. So it was kind of nice, actually, just to have this stretch where like I was going out the door motivated by adventure and play and being out there as opposed to having this like set race schedule coming up. And so it was almost freeing in that sense. But that was like, that's just in a nutshell. I it think was, there was also yeah. a lot of challenges too in that in that process. It was freeing yeah. for a short period of time, but we're very happy that things very are starting to open up. back yes. up more. It was hard some days to train because I'm thinking there's no race coming on the horizon. How did you keep the pilot light lit? Well, so I think as athletes, both of us are very process driven where it's like every day we like to wake up and think about the long-term growth aspect. And that's informed our coaching from the beginning for everyone from like beginner athletes to pro athletes. But I think the question it really clarified early on is we talk all the time about long-term growth, but what does long-term growth actually mean? And how do you support that? Because when you don't have the races to form goalposts, you really have to be like, okay, now we're fully zoomed out without any intermediate steps that we're not directly planning. And how do you structure long-term growth for an athlete in that context? And that was super challenging as a coach. Um, and I think we both grew a lot from it. 
and really refined our training philosophy. I think the other thing too, is as a coach, there's a lot of pattern recognition that goes on. And I think, you know, as soon as COVID hit athletes were dealing with like uncertainty across the board and it was manifesting in so many different life situations. Mm -hmm. Like, I think we really fully saw the gamut for what athletes were going through. And I think like personally, it was actually like really helpful because it was like, oh yeah, this is normal. Like, I think that's something that sometimes happens in coaching is, is like, it almost normalizes those emotions and those struggles for you. Um, but I think, I mean, it was just, it was helpful to be there for athletes and helpful to like have those open dialogues, but just also really inspired too, by how athletes are like coming out of this and taking like some of the lessons they learned during COVID and applying that to like post COVID training and racing. Yeah. Coaching is the best because it gives you so much empathy for people. Like you just, I mean, once we see what everyone is going through, both good and bad, I don't know. It feels like, I feel like we just all need our hug in our own very special, unique ways, or we're all screwed up in our own ways, or we're all brilliant, the best in our own ways. And that's like what life is all about. I got to hear some of that empathy not too long ago on your podcast, which, and I've been a regular, I've been a regular listener for like more than a year, (laughs) but I'm talking about episode 48. What made you step into the whole issue over trans athletes, which has become something of a tripwire grenade issue in this country right now? What, what led you to step into it? I love that you're asking that question. So episode 48 for listeners out there was the title trans athletes rights or human rights. And that's been a topic that we've been passionate about just for a long time. Both David and I have coached trans athletes um, in various stages of life and various stages of transitions. And I've just learned a ton about what it means to be a trans athlete. Um, I've worked with a lot of trans people on research teams, science teams, physicians, and just like the value of diversity and inclusion across life and including in sport. And I think once we saw that trans athletes' rights were being jeopardized, it was something that just horrified both of us because this conversation should not be happening in sports. Like trans women are women, trans men are men. And it's so important to establish that because this is like, this goes beyond just talking about competition and sports and medals. This is about human rights. And so we really wanted to focus that podcast on the idea, this is human rights um, and frame it both from a legal and medical perspective. Yeah. I mean, when we started the podcast, we talked about, okay, we want to wait till this builds up to the point that it can reach the most people to do a full topic on this because we've, we've written about it before but you can often find that sometimes when you're, you write things, I mean, the, the perhaps uh, disingenuous forces that are within our politics within the country will sometimes undermine that in comment sections in ways that when you're on a podcast, we can talk and make it clear that we're trying to come from a really loving and understanding perspective to everyone, you know, meet, meeting them where they are. And so as soon as the podcast builds up to the point that it could reach the most number of people, we're like, okay. Now's maybe the time, especially with all the bills that have come out this year, that hopefully we can put ourselves into the middle of it and make it clear that like, this is not a question of like questionable science. In fact, the science is pretty clear that trans inclusion is absolutely warranted in every facet. And when it comes to law, when it comes to morals, when it comes to ethics, it's one of those things where we just have a responsibility Um, and you know, whatever platforms we have, we're fortunate to have a podcast and coaching and things like that. But I mean, what we're trying to do now is encourage, okay, what's the next step? How can we get athletes that, that might not have those things? How can they make a difference too? You know, there is that statement that everybody is seems to be using right now. Trust the science. Well, as scientists, both of you, what are some of the biggest myths that you see that people have about the science? 
surrounding the issue of transgender inclusion in athletics? So the biggest problem here, and it's frustrating as a coach, it's like when you coach, when you're like Megan, a doctor and exercise, like, or in epidemiologists and all those other things, you see that adaptation and performance are so complicated. There are thousands of variables that go into um, what actually happens on the sports field. Um, but perhaps some of the, the critics would argue that one variable, testosterone, at a young age is a driving factor in all of the other variables. And that's simply not the way it works when you look at in practice how all this stuff unfolds. Um, but that can be a really uh, tempting thing, I think, for some people to buy into, especially when they haven't been exposed to these issues that much. And so um, what we really wanted to focus on is, look, if this, if that science that was based purely on testosterone-driven models, one, we would never apply that to just regular, you know, to, or to, to, to just humans as a whole, right? Um, these testosterone varies wi wildly among everyone. Um, but two, uh, it's just not backed up in the real world data of, as how performance happens. Um, and we would see that after all this time. So if anything, maybe it's unfair for trans athletes, given that, you know, um, what we're seeing on the, on the playing fields. And so basically it was that moment where it's like, okay, um, these simplistic models are just unfair. It, they're the unfair part. The models are the unfair part, not um, the human identities that are being like litigated here in these trans athlete bills. I love that you brought up the idea of testosterone because that truly is just one variable in a sea of thousands of variables that are being impacted by yeah. the transition process. And I think it's so unfair. Like we would never, like in, in real world data, you don't cherry pick one, one variable in that process. And I think the other thing too about real world data that David and I tried to emphasize in the podcast too, is, is that statistically speaking, if trans athletes are competing, we are going to have state champions, national champions, Olympians in this process, because statistically that should happen. And that's a great thing. And that's an awesome thing and should be celebrated. And actually to date, we haven't really had as many as we would statistically expect, which also points out to the fact that, you know, the real world data just isn't there supporting yeah. that there should be an issue. So if there's a, if there are trans athletes listening to this that are thinking about this, it's like, let's get some trans athlete champions, let's win some races. Let's, let's, let's get that going. Because that's, I think what we want to see. It's like, you know, if anything, the, the scientific argument is, is one that right now is pretty clear when it comes to how the science impacts real world performance. And hopefully what we'll actually see is that on the playing, in the running, in the running world, on trails, on the track, um, you know, we'll have trans athletes like winning races, setting PRs, doing all these amazing things. And that would be a sign we're moving toward fairness, not away from it. As people who've coached trans athletes, and by the way, Re David read your article on that as someone who is trans and as an athlete. And we're all thinking, why can't every coach be like this? Why can't every coach be this willing to learn? When I'm not sure if you read the comments or not, but if you do read the comments, what is your first thought when you see people pointing at you going, what you two just said, you're, tr you're wokest. <laughs> how do you, how do you even answer to that? Yeah, that's why it's a human rights issue, right? And that's why we say it's a human rights issue at the forefront. And we ground a lot of this argument in the legal, like the incontrovertible legal landscape in the United States in a place with a constitution and equal protection, because the, um, the argument at the baseline of critics 
points is to deny like basic human rights rather than the science ends up being a way around saying that directly perhaps. Um, but it becomes clear when you start to read some of the comment sections that cut to the chase, you know? So I think with me at least seeing that was, you know, when, it, when it's on me, it's like that's such small beans compared to what trans athletes have to face all the time. Um, and as a coach, like, you know, I'm not, I'm not like born in certainty, right? Like I, even now we're so, we're so uncertain on just about everything. Um, and when I, when I started coaching trans athletes, I would, I would hear the things they were worried about and the things that people said to them and the things they read online. And it broke my heart, like at such a fundamental level. And it's like, gosh, if we take a little bit of flack for talking about human rights, it's like, hopefully we can just get it to the point that it's the opposite. And that people that say things that might deny human rights are the ones that like are, are like feel shame, you know, but, um, for now, I think it's just a, it's on all of us, you know, we like non-trans people have to do whatever we can and whatever platforms we have, no matter where that is. And I think a lot of when you talk about like the doing, I think that's understanding the lived experience of what a transgender person goes through, which is so challenging. I think the transition process, the mental health, the identity, all of these different things are incredibly challenging for trans people. And I think people who don't know a trans person closely or may, I mean, they probably have statistically worked with a trans person in their yeah. life and may just not know it. I think it's so important to get to know those journeys of what those people are going through because it's like, that should cue an empathy button. And if it doesn't, like you're probably not like thinking enough or living deeply enough. And so I think like my hope too is, is that like, as we can share the experiences of what trans athletes are going through and trans people are going through, we can help just kind of like, like curtail yeah. this a little bit, bridge the gap a little bit. But um, I think for me, you know, I've had some like really fundamental trans people in my life that have taught me all of these different things. And I wish that we could, you know, elevate this conversation so that could be a more discussed situation. Yeah, you know that sound. That means we have to take a break and pay some bills. But when we come back, we're going to have David Roach and Megan Roach talk about myths, misconceptions, and what mythos they're grooving to right now. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. This is The Transporter Room. Stay with us. For you, what was the biggest misconception that you found busted in working in coaching and working with a trans athlete? Yeah, I think just that, I mean, for me as a coach, the process was actually largely similar coaching trans athletes. Um, I think, you know, just being there day to day and seeing like being flexible um, in training, being flexible to adapt um, and just understanding. I think as, as coaches, we do a lot of like like introspection between what happens mentally and physically with athletes. And I think, you know, really having like open mental health conversations and dialogues during the transition process as athletes are, you know, talking about identity is just so helpful because mental health and physical 
performance are so like inextricably linked, Yeah, and which a- I think is beautiful. Yeah. Athletes aren't robots. And I think that's one thing that really is missing from some of the conversations. It's like, these are th- real humans we're talking about. And that goes for every type of athlete. And when you, when you really ground it in the real human and think about the, your own things that you go through that might be amazing or traumatic or in between and how that applies in your training life and your performance and your races and your aging process and everything else. It's like, Oh, when you view it as it's another part of being a human being, it's not the only part that defines, you know, these people, just like our own things aren't the only parts that define us. And um, what's so cool about being an athlete and what's so cool about inclusion is that we get this, this place to be accepted for who we are putting our physical natures out there, you know, in whatever the performance context is. And that's why sports are so cool. If sports were just about the scoreboard, they lose almost all their meaning. Like it's all about this, this openness, this community, this ability to, you know, express yourself in your identity through the, your physical body. And that's, I think one of the things with coaching that like, man, the, the human journey is everything. And I think that's so relevant, like, you know, at, for athletes that we've been working with, but I think perhaps even more relevant in youth sports. Yeah. And that's something that I think is a really important part of this conversation too, is, is just like, you know, when adolescents are developing and like just how important youth sports are. And it's, it's really painful t- for me that this conversation has extended into youth sports when like sports are such a large part of like growth and identity and personal development. Now, David, you just said something very important if we're just looking at the scoreboard it's all all lost so meaning do you realize right now there's a lot of people in this country that would hear that immediately say david roche likes participation trophies <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i'll say to that like i coach I, th- I think we coach a few dozen national champions at least um no we like winning we like that we just view that like all of this stuff is a means to growth of everyone of like the community i mean we we want every single person to show up to the start line. Actually, Megan has said and that's this what, That's what elevates sports. You said this, like, yeah. you know, when you show up to the start line, you want, yeah. I want to raise anyone who identifies as a woman. And, you know, I think that elevates the community. It elevates the shared experience. Like it makes us need lo- learning. And Megan wants to beat them. Yeah, that's true. Well, you're still racing. Well, Megan, you've had, you've both had that, what I think is the best uniform to have an American sport. You've both worn a Team USA uniform. <laughs> You've both worn one. So the excellence is obviously there as coaches, but also as athletes. How have other cis athletes and coaches who are cis that you've worked with, what kind of response have you gotten from them on the stances you've taken, what you said in your podcast, the excellent articles that you've both written on this? What kind of feedback have you gotten from them? recently like an overwhelming amount of love and respect i think coming back from that um from the podcast granted i would say that at this point our podcast uh primarily has like probably a set cohort of of listeners but i just like i wish that we could bottle up that like love and support and respect that we got from from cis supporters and and listeners and be able to release that to the trans community just to understand like that I think sometimes in this in this area, well, well, actually for sure in this area, there's this very vocal minority of people coming out against trans athletes when in reality, there's all of these supporters and all of these people. And I think our goal with our podcast is really just to leverage that um, and to bring those voices together. That way they can shine, um, you know, on this topic. Yeah. I mean, our athletes have been great. I think 
that just most people, when they hear why inclusion is the default, um, it's this understanding moment, it's this click moment where it's like, oh yes, of course inclusion is the default in any sort of democratic society. Like that's just the basis of the, you know, the whole fabric of what we call a society in the first place. Actually, once we started using that language in the podcast, we had a lot of people reach out to us and say, oh, I'm really thinking about this in a different way once it's being framed in terms of inclusion. Um, and so I thought that was something that was really interesting after that. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, when we went into that, we expected a lot of hate mail. And to be honest, we didn't really get much at all. And the stuff that we did get, I think, was mostly well-intentioned. Um, with people that just didn't know, and or probably hadn't had an experience yeah. with a trans athlete or trans and person. And so, yeah. to I mean, to the trans people listening out there, like, gosh, I can't even imagine the types of things you go through. But like, you are seen and you are loved by so many people in the athletic community. Um, I think the more though that we can just get everyone really comfortable talking about it openly um, a ton, <laughs> the better it'll be because uh, it'll also make it so that people that might be critics are less comfortable using those loud, you know, voices of the like small, slim majority or slim minority that they have um, in this way because they know that wait, there's a tidal wave of support for inclusion, you know, at the beach right now, and you don't want to push back against that. An article that another article that spoke to me was the training article mm. because I'll I will full admission I'm struggling with this right now. And I've got coaches in my forum. So mm -hmm. I'm going to, how do I avoid the comparison trap? Especially now that, that the first digit in my age is about to become a five. Happy birthday, by the way. Yes. Yeah, Thank you. Celebrations. Dealing with running, transition, and seeing, those and, and seeing that the times aren't where they used to be. And it's frustrating. What would you give an athlete to avoid falling into that trap and just going into the tank. Yeah. So we just focus on the idea that an athlete is enough as they are always. And the purpose of athletics is not to achieve some endpoint, like to try to like win a race or run a fast time or any of that stuff. Instead, those are byproducts of like a daily process that you find uplifting where you're putting yourself out there and really going for it. So um, yeah, what we want, we're like, okay, instead of that like zoomed out comparison to really just zoom in on the type of like life you're leading and the act of like athletics day to day and finding joy in that. And then when you're pursuing your potential, it's not about where that potential lies at any given moment. It's about the act of pursuing. I love that you use the word zooming in. Cause I think for me, it's really also about helping athletes zoom into the element of play um, and really thinking about like injecting elements of play into training and racing and like focusing on that and thriving on that, I think is something that we, I mean, and that can be like something like really little. And I think it kind of helps move beyond this like judgment mindset or like the comparison mindset, because there's like, there's that anchor there of like, well, I'm going to like dance on a warm up or like, yeah. you know, I'm going to be out there listening to music on trails or, you know, I'm going to like celebrate at the finish line with, you know, cookies and beer. Um, so I think, I think that's something that's really helpful too. I like Megan already. <laughs> I like the cookies and beer thing. Cause that, that is a, that is a Carly Webb training technique. Dance at the dance before the start and then celebrate after the race. That is a that is a training technique. And like I said, this 
this article, this article here on training for trans athletes. We are going to put a link to this in the write up that we do for this do for this episode because the reading this article on lot it got me through a plateau recently. So no, thank you for this. What attracted you first to going beyond the marathon distance, going into trails, and also what is the what are some of your goals looking ahead? I think for me, the element of like nature and connecting out there to mountains. Um, so I, I played field hockey in college, took a fifth year and ran track and quite frankly, got pretty bored running in circles. And <laughs> that summer came out here to Colorado and it was like the most magical transition going from running in circles on the track to running in a mountain. And I was like around mountains and I was totally hooked. So I think for me, what I love about ultra distances is just being able to cover more miles. I also think too, from like a pure, like science and coaching standpoint, I'm kind of fascinated about the physiology that <laughs> happens there. Like thinking about fatigue resilience and fueling and like all of these different bodily processes that are happening in, in ultras and kind of just getting to like roll the dice of variables and doing your best on a given day. So yeah, that's for me trails and, and the longer distance. I love that. Um, and I don't know, for me, a lot of it's just like the unknown and the whole idea of running as a metaphor, which sounds really lame, but I'm going to, I'm going to loop this around to things that actually matter. It's like, you know, if running is just going out and like kind of doing like an out and back each day and then finishing your run and going on with the rest of your life, it's like, that's kind of a weird thing to draw so much meaning from personally, you know, this like activity instead, like running as this like broader metaphor of putting yourself out there of failing of success, all the other things that go into a running life, you know, it's a way to experience life in this bite-sized morsel that you can consume without necessarily, you know, being this massive, like letdown if things don't go well or defining your life if things do go well. It can be something that's purely additive. And that's why like inclusion is such a big thing for us. It's like, we want everyone to experience that. Like no one should feel excluded from like the amazingness that running can provide. Like we're such huge fans of running and we're such huge fans of competing and we're such huge fans of trying to pursue your potential. It's like everyone needs to experience that because there's such a huge chance for growth there, no matter where a person finishes in a race. Um, and so, yeah, let's open the doors because if, you know, the, the wider the doors are open, the, the more people get to experience these things that are so uplifting. Isn't that the truth though? I mean, I'm from, from the both of you. Your best race. <laughs> the one, uh, give me the, for both of you, the one day where it, where it just all went dead solid perfect. Your best race. Actually, it's funny. When you said best race, I actually thought of a day where it did not go dead silent perfect and it was still okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that one instead. So way too cool. Um, 50K is a kind of this like really big California race on beautiful single track trails. And I was coming off, I had been working um, on surgery rotation and coming off that rotation and had to like jet up to, to Auburn, California for the race was like exhausted. Felt honestly terrible <laughs> during the race. Like it was like my body, my, like my legs were slow. I was hyperventilating, felt terrible, but there was like something in me that was like, Megan, just keep going. You'll be fine. Just keep going. <laughs> and somewhere, and this is like a rare statement to say, but somewhere around mile 26, I like found a groove and like things clicked. And then last like five miles of that race were truly this like transcendental experience. Cause I had felt so terrible and so horrible. And then was coming out of that and like appreciating like the race and joy and like being there. Um, so I think that was probably the race for me. Yeah. That was, it was such a sight to behold. Um, 
So for me, I would say uh, the U.S. Mountain Running Championships back in 2014. So they raced the women before the men. So Megan had finished already. And I heard through the like loudspeakers at the, at the top of the mountain. So she finished it at the top of the ski slope. I heard through the loudspeakers that she made the team that was going to Italy. And we had just gotten married or were about to get married. And so the, tr- the, the world championships would be like right after our wedding. And so this was like, oh my God, I, I didn't have any money at the time. I was like, this is a free honeymoon if I run really fast. Um, <laughs> And so uh, I didn't have the best race of my life, but I was able to dig really deep at the end. You dug so deep in that race. Like yeah. the pictures from David, his face is like in another, like talk about like science fiction. His face was like on another planet. I was like, we got to get this honeymoon. Your molecules were, were like, I don't know, rebelling against. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we did have a honeymoon and then eat so much gelato in Italy. Now, one thing you're on the transporter room. Which means this show is not just about sports. It is about the intersection of sports, transness, science fiction, and other stuff. And I oh, figure... Yeah. I love this. Chances you're scientists, you're into science fiction, and this has not only been... I mean, it's been a private training season the last year. Thank you, COVID. But also, it's been a binging season. So what have you been grooving to lately? Oh, a lot. Ted Lasso is our... We- Oh, is this science fiction or is this? Uh, it can be movie? any. It can be anything okay. pop culture, but at least throw a little science fiction in there. But I love. I can't wait for the second season of Ted Lasso. Oh, it's good. If it's every co- I think if every coach was a Ted Lasso, sports would be that much better. I think David's a little worried though, because David's like, I don't want to ruin this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first season was so perfect. Like I saw it, and it was the ultimate like validation for my entire like self. Um, we also love the Queen's Gambit. That was really good. Um, yeah, I was trying to think of science fiction that I watched recently. I watched this without Megan, uh, Made for Love on HBO. Um, it was about a, uh, a, t- a a chip that gets inserted into the brain to like bind uh, like two partners um, so they know everything about each other. And it was a wonderful like satire of the tech world. Also not fully science fiction, but it's about the gaming world. Mythic Quest is very good. Um, we love Mythic Quest new season coming out. Yeah, if you haven't seen Mythic Quest, it's one that's I, like- I, I just got started with that. And I was it like, took oh, us an oh, episode oh, or two to get into it. And then it was like, we were hooked. Now, one thing you said when we were in the green room preparing for the show is that there's a book you're reading. <laughs> Yeah, that is a you that that is awesome. So it's called The End of Everything, Astrophysically Speaking. Um, By Katie Mack. Yeah, I recommend it for everyone, especially even if you're not into space, because it's like so many metaphors for life in there. So many metaphors for life, but essentially she takes this really humorous approach to the various ways that the entire universe could end. Um, But what's so meaningful about it to me is like, I, back in college, it wasn't my focus, but like I would, I audited an ast- astrophysics class. Like I wanted to learn about this stuff, but it was so far beyond my mathematical capabilities that I couldn't really engage with it. And she breaks it down in such a way that like the entire universe just comes up into your in front of your face, and it, it's it's incredible. Um, there are so many great quotes in there. Um, like my favorite one, my favorite story of all. From, from the book, though, is that when Albert Einstein formed his theory of general relativity, which describes all the gravity in the universe, um, there was one problem. 
you look up at the night sky, there's all these stars and galaxies, all these trillions of tons of mass. If gravity applies across infinite space, everything should just crunch together, like over time, over, over um, universal time. And so to deal with this problem, he put a cosmological constant in his equation that he has no idea why it was supposed to be there. He's just like, okay, everything's stable. Here's this number. And so even the most smart person in the world was like, I have no idea. Here's a number. Um, and long story short, fast forward tons of like uh, six decades, Albert Einstein long gone and viewed it as a big regret of his life that he put this cosm- this co- constant in. Uh, his, his idea was validated, uh, but for reasons that he, he had no idea about, like dark energy causing a rapid expansion of the universe. And to me, that's so cool and so weird and it's like so a hug in some strange so way. liberating yeah, and also funny too. <laughs> yeah 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 but I think also one final other book rec too is I just read the midnight library by Matt Haig and it's about this library that's like a portal to these different worlds and in those worlds you realize like what would have happened if you made different decisions in life and I think it makes it made me think a lot about like decisions and regret and it just was a really fascinating read for the both of you in in running What's the next goal for both of you? What's that? What's the undiscovered country? There's something there's, that's something you haven't done yet. I think for me, it's probably Western States 100. Um, I would love to show up and like, for me, I love the idea of like being really competitive in races. And that right now in the trail running world is like probably one of the biggest, most competitive races in trail running. So I would love to show up there. Also, I love California trails. They're really special to me. That's kind of where I, David and I both grew with trail runners. So heading back to California for that would be awesome. And the community there is, there's this place called Forest Hill where you run through around like mile 60 and there's just like people everywhere. It's a party, like talk about play, maybe not exactly for the people running it, but <laughs> it's, um, it's just a really cool race environment. I love that. Um, yeah, we're, we're about to go. We are we're coaching some athletes that are, are there this year. And it's always the most nerve wracking day of the year for me. Um, and my goal, I, I've seen like a recent spike in my speed. And I kind of want to see where that leads. He wants to run a sub four minute mile. <laughs> I'm just putting it out there. For I, I, I do. I want to, I want to. I, I saw you hesitate. I was like, he's not going to vocal. I wasn't going to say that, but I, I want to give it a go before, before I end up, uh, you know, being like Katie Max universe that annihilates itself. I want to see if I'm, if I'm able to do that and go for it and dream big. Yeah. A Shoot my shot. A three fifty nine nine. Yeah. I'll do it. I, I'll do it. With, I'll, I'll find, I'll wait till there's a day that there's a nice, nice tailwind to do my first attempt um, and do it off the track. Um, but yeah, I've, I've always, I've always wanted to do that. We both got a little bit later start in our running lines and I never did track. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's been really interesting now in my, you know, almost mid thirties, um, seeing that, like, I don't know, a lot of what I thought would happen as I age hasn't happened. Like, I feel like there's so much more to find and that's what we see in coaching too. And it's a place where it's like so much of what we consider with the aging process is, is maybe across the population it applies, but not on the individual level. Um, we've been fortunate to coach athletes in their 50s, 60s, 70s who are doing things that outlasted things that they did in their 30s and 40s. Um, and seeing that kind of liberated me from like the constraints I was putting on myself. I can concur with that because I do things now at 49 that 19-year-old me wouldn't even try it. That's one thing I really want to close with is what is it like for you being on the... I, I don't want to necessarily say outside looking in because you're in it 
and you've put yourselves in it. I and in tip of my cap, tip of my cat ear headphones to you <laughs> for for putting yourself in it. I want to know two things. One, ultimately, what gave you that nudge to say we need I. I may be from outside this particular community, but I must speak out. And secondly, for you, what is, I mean, where do you see it going? Or more, or better yet, what message would you want to give those who are blocking this, the way forward that you both talked about earlier? I think for me, point one is I just had so many pivotal trans people, trans athletes in my own life and have gotten like, my life has been bettered. Teams I've been on have been bettered. Like, and I think to me, once I've seen that and also fully understood the hardships and like, no one should have to go through those hardships that we're imposing right now. And it's truly unfair, especially given like, just the amount of like, like love and support and like everything I've learned from getting to, to work, um, with trans athletes. And, um, so that's for me, like, that was really the impetus just to be like, we're doing this, like yeah. we're speaking out about this. And I think for me, I'm the sort of person, like, I want to make sure I was in some sense, like, I always want like the perfect words. And so for me on our podcast, like, I just really wanted to come at it from a place of like love and inclusion, but also tell people like, we're still learning and we're still always going to be learning from a place of outside looking in and just really like having that approach, I think has been really helpful. Yeah. And that's, I mean, well, into this podcast too, is I've already caught myself and said things that I'm like, Oh, I didn't say that the right way. But if people wait till they're ready to say things perfectly or read from a script, then, you know, people like us that are in the outside will never be able to help people that need it now. Um, yeah, so for me, um, I'd always thought, thought a little bit about this, but it wasn't until I got to see B go through it. Um, and in that process, read everything that was out there. And I'm like, it, it, was, it was shocking to me that the way that the conversation was being portrayed in some popular sources was not the way it was actually unfolding in scientific journals and on the sports fields. And then you put that together with like the lived experience and reading like an article about what a high school girl has to experience in, in Connecticut. And it just like, I mean, it's so important to do something, even if that something is almost nothing. Um, and I mean, it's one of the main reasons we made a podcast in the first place is that eventually we want to try to hit that issue. And, and then, I think, yeah, I think where it's going is, is that I hope, and I pretty strongly believe that in four to five years, hopefully not 10 years that we look back on this and we're like, why did we have, why did trans athletes have to go through this struggle? Um, I think like, if you go back to history, you go back to gay marriage, you go back to race, you go back to gender, like we have always eventually gotten to inclusion and it's just taken far, far too long. And I hope that we can start like speeding this process up because I think it's like, it's going to save lives. It's going to be better for mental health. It's going to make us all better in this process. And that's why I think it's like, it's so important that we have these discussions. Yeah. And can, we're, can we're just make sports better. Yes. That's yes, the whole point. 100%, yes. It's, you know, transgender athletes, just like any, all, people of diverse perspectives add to the teams they're in, their communities they're on, it makes everyone better for it. Um, that this isn't an issue about a group that is marginalized alone. This is about everyone. It's about everyone getting to experience all the amazingness that is out there in the world from trans athletes and others. And um, yeah, I mean, that's why like we, we partnered with Athlete Ally um, to release, to create a sign-on letter for 
trans-athlete inclusion that tons of professional athletes have now signed on to. Um, and it, you can find it if you're interested at swaprunning.com slash inclusion. Um, it just provides a link to the letter. Oh, that's all through Athlete Ally, who um, is an amazing organization. And yeah, our hope is that as the voice, as this tsunami starts to build of people being like, yes, inclusion, 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 and, and more people are willing to talk about it, that the conversation shifts. And once that happens, I think we're just like, the world's going to open up. It's going to be the most beautiful thing ever. Like all of the, you know, everyone will be affirmed in their own personal experiences. And I think that that's coming sooner rather than later. I think we're going to be looking back next year or the year after and be like, heck yes, what progress we have made and what progress we have sustained. And um, I can't wait. I want to thank you both for being here. This has been a, this has been a great show and I respect and admire how you're stepping in and I'm encouraging you keep coach doc, keep stepping in, <laughs> keep stepping in and encourage others to step in because no, this, this goes directly to a sport. I love, I've loved running. I've loved track my entire life. I've loved running my entire life and to see people in my community as runners, as runners, um, but also as coaches and as athletes standing in and, and putting themselves and giving themselves and, and taking their skin in the game and saying that, yes, we have skin in the game. That is something to see and much respect. And in fact, I want you back. We want you <laughs> you back this, here. this is so much fun. We'll bring all our molecules You better back. believe we'll be back after you run that sub two, <laughs> or even if, even if you run like a three, three hour, we're going to come and we are going to, no, we're not going to do we're not going to do a three hour. We're going to be, we're, yeah. going, we're going to attack that sub too. I love we're it. We're going to we're, attack it. We're going to celebrate. And that means so much to us. And like, yeah, if you're for all the trans people out there listening, if there are like, you were seen and you were loved and for everyone else, you were seen and you were loved too. And that love is at the heart of inclusion. And it's something that like we all can put out there. And so let's go for it. Let's shoot our shot with love. I'm going to keep, that's going to be my mantra. Now you're going to shoot your shot. David Roach, Megan Roach, thank you for being. We're going to beam you back down to Boulder and say goodbye. And we're going to energize you back down. And for the rest of you, thank you for joining me. And remember, if there's something you want to want to see in the transporter room or something you want to say about the transporter room, comment on our Twitter, comment on our Instagram, comment on our Facebook. We like to hear from you because we do the show for you. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. For all of us at Outsports in the Transporter Room, live long and prosper. Steady as she goes. We'll see you next week.